I cannot believe it is the unofficial kickoff of summer. We had Memorial Day weekend and it's my son's fourth birthday. So June 1st is kind of always when I really kick off the summertime. And it's such an interesting time for me because I'm starting to reflect on a lot of things. And I think I tend to do this as the seasons change. And as I'm coming up on my 40th birthday and thinking about all of the ways that I can impact so many lives. So I'm so excited I get to do this podcast. I'm so excited. So many of you tell me how much you like it. It's it's so motivating because when you are recording a podcast uh, right now, I am sitting in my attic at a desk by myself and is the one form of social media where you don't get a lot of feedback back. You don't get the comments. You don't get the reshares because it's an audio form and podcasts don't have that sort of TikTok, Instagram, you know, screen where all things exist together. So thank you so much for listening to the show and loving the show and referring your friends to the show. It is so amazing to see this show really, really grow. And I couldn't be more excited. I told you last week, I think, actually, no, last week I had um, Dr. Mary Claire Haver on the show. And, and that was just a wonderful episode. And I'm really enjoying not only making the content, but also I get to engage with so many other amazing creators and menopause experts and women's health experts by hosting the show. And it's just so incredible. So last week I had her as a guest, so I wasn't solo casting. So this week I'm by myself and I'm really excited to let you know that the editor of my upcoming book that's coming out next year loved our first draft yay, of the book, which means then we can kind of get into more of a publishing mode. Again, I'm first time author and this is all new to me, but I'm really excited about that. So updating you on that, we're kicking around some really cool titles and some book cover ideas. And so things are just really happening and it is real. It's really so cool. I couldn't have written the book without the support from all of you. And you may think just tuning into the show is not demonstrating that, but it really is. Um, you know, it's, it's just so fun to see so many things happen out of the feedback from podcast episodes, from posts, from my patients, from my students. And it is just entirely snowballed into something I'm so excited for. All right, you are here because I wanted to talk about ADHD and huge disclaimer right off the bat is that I'm not an expert in ADHD by no means and certainly not a diagnosing psychiatrist and my exposure with ADHD and uh, di- helping with the diagnosis or treating ADHD stems from the few years I was doing primary care. So if you don't know my whole life's story, you certainly don't need to know. But after I did my fellowship training at Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, I moved to the Ohio State and I was there for three years and half of my job title was primary care. The other half was my menopause consult clinic. Now in my sort of primary care hat role, you could imagine that almost all of my patients were women in midlife. And a lot of times we were dealing with menopause and perimenopause and they sought me out for that expertise in either whatever clinic that they could. And I loved doing primary care. It was so enjoyable. And gosh, I 
think about so many of my incredible patients so often. If you guys are listening, I miss you so much. I know a lot of my uh, podcast episodes, downloads come from Columbus. So I know a lot of you are still listening, but man, I really do miss you. Uh, but so that was really my exposure to handling ADHD. Now, I didn't get a lot of training in this actually in residency and uh, nor really in fellowship. And when I started my, you know, primary care work, I kind of was, um, you know, got handed uh, people who are already on ADHD medications. So that was easy, easy enough, right? I could refill them and check in on my patients, make sure there was no abuse potential, see if it was helping them. Easy, really straightforward. And then I started to notice characteristics of ADHD in patients who themselves either didn't know they had ADHD, were never asked about it, um, never even thought about it. And the way I could kind of see this as a physician was just this really long winded stream of thought. A patient would come into my room. So, so is this you? A patient would come into my room, my exam room, and I would say, hi, how are you? And they would just off to the races and without even seemingly coming up for air, just bouncing from one topic to the other topic, to the other topic, to the other topic. Now, this isn't all that entirely uncommon because you as a patient know that you have whatever X amount of teeny time with that doctor. So you're trying to spew off everything that you can. But the majority of people without ADHD can actually do this in a pretty timely manner by doing what we call hitting the high note. <laughs> and, I, and I say this because we say this in my family. My little sister has ADHD and we've known this for a long time. It's, it's well diagnosed and she actually has Tourette's syndrome. And so she's had ADHD for a long time and obsessive compulsive disorder and a couple other things, but it makes her the most fun and funniest and awesome person on the planet. But anyways, when she's telling a story a little bit like I'm doing now, we'll say, Ashley, hit the high note. Like, what is the point of this story? Because as she's telling this story, her ADHD is bouncing her off in so many different directions that are really like interesting to her. Or she thinks maybe interesting to the listener, but they're really not. But then it makes her think of something else. But then maybe she'll find something in her bag and then she'll stop the story. And so without ADHD, you can probably hit the high notes even if you're time constrained, even if you've only got five minutes to tell your doctor how you've been over the last year, you know, people can hit the high note. And when people can't hit the high note, it's actually pretty likely that they might have ADHD. And it's only knowing this from seeing patients for so many years. Now, I don't, don't get me wrong. If that's you, if you've come into my office or if you're like, oh my God, I've done that. that we, I do that too. Trust me, I do that too. Sometimes you just, you dump everything and, and sometimes you have to do that. But, and it's also a little bit of a pattern, right? So, um, I would see patients and if every time I saw them, it was just this constant stream of different things and like not coming up for air or not even actually being too socially aware that you're just going on and on and on and on. And you're going like just all over the place and not hitting the high note, even in that, that could be a really clear sign that you have ADHD from the viewpoint of a clinician. Now, again, this is my non-psychiatrist brain. This is just me watching patients for the last 10 plus years. Really clear sign of ADHD. And I see it in my sister who would totally allow me to be telling you this because uh, she's very open about her 
uh, her, her life and her medical history, and she's fine with all that. So other things that I see is an Ill- inability to complete tasks. And how this kind of plays out is you may be in the kitchen washing the dishes and you get like 60 or 70% of them done and you kind of look over with your hands in the sink and they're full of soap and you see this like unhinged dresser drawer and you're like, oh, you have to go fix that. And you kind of like walk away from the sink and you go to fix that. And as you're looking for that wrench, then you kind of think about this like other project that you had and then you sit daydreaming for a second and then you're like, where did I leave that last one? Oh yeah, in the garage. And then you walk out to the garage and then you see like your kids sneakers out there and then you're like oh my gosh I forgot I said I would go back up and bring the baby some water my toddler some water and like all these projects just really get in various stages of completion that's another sign that you might have attention deficit just inability to complete a task now again we all live in a world where for me my one of my secret pleasures not so secret pleasures you know is the end of the day just scrolling through tiktok where if you can get someone's attention for 15 seconds that is miraculous that is like a good retention rate like 15 seconds so we all in this digital world in this fast paced world are developing some sense of incomplete projects but again it's going to be is this more of a pattern as i'm saying this are you starting to think like oh yes I do that, or my partner does that, or my sister does that, or my coworker does that. And it's a pattern and it's an inability to really complete a a project. So you've got all of these actually really great ideas and really interesting hobbies and just they're done in varying different degrees of completion. So that's like another, another thing that I would also have my patients kind of tell me. Now, Difficulty focusing is kind of wrapped up into what I was just saying, which is, you know, projects that are in different stages of completion. Difficulty concentrating or difficulty focusing are a little bit more nuanced. They're a little bit more vague. And this is probably one that's harder for me to really, again, see as a clinician because I don't really watch. I don't go home with my patients and peer over them as they're doing their nine to five or as they're trying to, you know, finish an email. So that's another sort of sign that you might have ADHD. But I'm telling you that inability to hit the high note, you can ask your friends, do I have problems hitting the high note? I probably have problems hitting the high note. But so why is that so important for women in midlife? That's where we want to go next. That's so important for women in midlife because I think this is very pronounced in the perimenopause to menopause transition. Something about the loss of estrogen really seems to exacerbate these symptoms. And the big problem with ADHD or ADD in women is that it's highly likely that it goes underdiagnosed or it's subclinical or it's missed. And all those things mean is that men and young children, boys, Uh, get the diagnosis more? Is it because I have it more? Is it because we're more likely to diagnose them? Is it more likely because women or little girls have better coping skills? There's all these reasons that can be involved in there. And I tend to think, because this is a podcast and I get to give my opinions, I tend to think that women, even children or whatever, you know, whatever age you are as a female and there's this ability to tend to acclimate and do your very best. And we could probably end up getting missed with the diagnosis. 
because even if we have projects that are in various stages of completion, uh, if needed and something's due, we can focus on that one thing and get it done. So we've acclimated and then we get to perimenopause and a lot of things start to change, become unhinged. We lose our estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. We start to develop symptoms like insomnia, inability to get good night's sleep, hot flashes, other symptoms like brain fog, uh, trouble with memory processing speed and cognition. And you throw those into the mix and boy, oh boy, can that really make it so that you can't use those old acclimating coping skills to, you know, quote unquote, cover up or uh, keep your, your ADHD too hidden. When I think about specifically the inability to sleep well, I definitely can see this in my sister. If she hasn't slept well, if she's really tired, if she's more aggravated, she's going to have either more tics or she's going to have more ADHD. And that's no surprise. That should be no surprise to anyone with any type of anxiety, depression, or OCD. If put under any sort of stress or trigger, which in this case, I'm also really thinking about lack of sleep, it's going to really make those things come to light. It's really going to make them worse. So if all of those things are happening in perimenopause and you also add the social things of perimenopause and the social things of menopause is that caregiver strain. I did a whole podcast episode on this, a couple podcast episodes back about caregiver strain. So not only are your hormones shifting, not only are symptoms starting, uh, but your life is just very hectic, not always, but often because you may be dealing with aging parents. You may be dealing with a partner, a house, kids, stepchildren, neighbors. Oh my gosh, your job, but back to the neighbors. I cannot tell you how many patients will just stress over situations with neighbors. You know, it's like the old school, like land rivalry thing, but wow. If you've got a neighbor that you're stressing with, you are like not alone. There should, there's probably like a whole Reddit form of like how to deal with neighbors. Um, I guess I've been lucky. I haven't had to go on that Reddit form. I've got great neighbors. So all of these things are happening and it leads to an inability to continue to function the way you previously were. So now what we want to do is now that we've talked about what some of the symptoms are, and this is just from Heather Hirsch's perspective, there are probably textbooks on what other symptoms are. And um, we've talked a little bit about why that really matters as we go through the perimenopause to menopause transition. Let's talk about next what you can do about it. Now, here's where we get into lifestyle or medications, but I really think the first thing to do is sort of recognize some of the signs. So if you're listening to this episode and you think that that could be you, remember this is very broad and this is not medical advice. This is really to kind of get your wheels churning. We all have inability to concentrate. We all have low attention spans. We all can go on and on about a story. But do you see patterns of these? Do you see these worst Do you see that you're having these, you know, looking around the house and seeing all of these unfinished projects? If so, the first thing is just to recognize that this could be going on instead of wondering what the heck could be happening to, why are you spiraling out of control? Why is your life all of a sudden upside down? Why do you have inability to finish things? It could be because you may have been high functioning ADD your entire life. And now those seams are starting to show. The next thing, actually, no, before we go to the next thing, if you have a friend, a sister, 
anyone else who you think could benefit from this, let them know. Because sometimes I have to say to my patients, hey, have you ever thought you might have um, attention deficits? And sometimes people are really taken aback because it can sound uh, don't know what the word is, rude or threatening, uh, or, um, assuming, but I'm doing this in a clinician setting. And so my skill is trying to find the right time to, to mention that to patients. Um, and sometimes they, you know, have lots of different responses. Oh yes. I always thought that I always thought that you think I had that. Yes. Yes, I do too. Or, oh my gosh, no. Oh, okay. You know, and I just kind of say, oh, you know what? You might not. It's just something I've I, I'm thinking about because you're telling me this, this, and this. Does that sound right? And if, in, or I'll say, does that not sound right? Am I missing something? Uh, you know. So the the next thing to do is, if you think it might be you, or if you have a friend that might, could benefit from listening to this, send this to them. The next thing to do is really talk about it with your clinician. So you can go to your primary care doctor. You can talk about it with them. You can certainly raise these concerns. Like always, I think the best thing that you could do to start with is journaling and tracking and starting to monitor if there are any patterns. Are there times of the month where it is worse? Are there certain triggers like not sleeping or seeing your neighbor? And and put all those down because patterns of behavior are the most telling sign. Anyone can tell a long-winded story. That's how I feel after I finish every podcast episode. But if it's a pattern or if you're brave enough to ask your partner or your children or your friends and they also agree that these things are patterns, then you need to think about is it affecting your quality of life? It may not be. And so it's a little bit of a moot point but interesting to continue to monitor and watch. If it is affecting your life, if you say yes, people at work are starting to notice. My boss is starting to notice. My partner's starting to notice. I'm feeling it. I feel frustrated. I don't feel like I can finish a project. Patients will say things to me all the time along the lines of, I used to be this incredible multitasking, high-functioning woman in control of everything. And now I can't get my I can't get anything accomplished. I can't get anything done. And I do not know who I am, whose body I'm living in anymore. It's sort of this like feeling of feeling foreign in your own body or with your own brain, right? So see if these things are affecting your quality of life. And then you might want to go talk with your doctor. You can talk to your doctor if it's not affecting your quality of life, but certainly knowing if it is helps you in how far down the path you need or want to go. So what I used to say to my patients, because I'm not a bona fide psychiatrist, again, not a bona fide psychiatrist. I'm sure any psychiatrist listening to this episode is probably their skin's crawling because I could be saying wrong things. Your doctor might want to check some other things to make sure it's not something else that we could be missing. For example, a thyroid disorder, hyper or hypothyroidism. Are there any um, vitamins or supplements that you're lacking in? Vitamin D or magnesium or zinc or iron. Are you anemic? Um, going over, what is your sleep like? How many hours of sleep are you getting? Are you exercising? Are you drinking plenty of water? These are your just like basic things that we all know are good for you. And if you're not doing those things, and sometimes, yes, it takes driving to the doctor and waiting in the waiting room for half an hour for them to tell you and ask you, are you taking your vitamin D? Are you getting some exercise? How is your mental health? Those things are super important because we don't want to jump to the diagnosis. It, it is probably a little bit more a diagnosis of exclusion than it is um, 
not. And so making sure all of your other lab work looks normal and no one's missing anything else. You know, have you, had you had any recent illnesses? Do you have any infections? Those things are all really important to check. And then it's time to get tested. Time to get tested. Now, what I used to do and what I still do actually is tell people to go on psychologytoday.com and type in your zip code. When you do that, you're going to get a whole list of psychologists or psychiatrists in your area. And oftentimes it lists what insurance they take and what they specialize in. You can, in most places, I might be wrong, but I think at least in all the places I've been, see a psychiatrist or psychologist if they're if they take your insurance without a referral, this referral system is kind of old and outdated because for me to send you a referral, at least in my system, to my hospital is going to be like two year wait list, but you might find someone your insurance also takes and it's a three to six month wait list, which you want to get on that wait list right away. And you're going to want to do is bona fide ADHD testing, which I have never done myself, but my patients will tell me it's a it's a, just a paper and pen test, or maybe it's online. It's just a simple test and it really helps give you a clear diagnosis. And I have to say for my patients for whom I've suspected a diagnosis and they go and get tested, they find out they have the diagnosis. It actually feels so darn validating because for so long, you've probably been telling yourself that you can't complete tasks that you're you know, no longer functioning to your highest potential and that your best days are gone, whatever you might be telling yourself. And that's simply not true if you have something else going on. And it's also really validating to maybe know that looking back in middle school and high school and college in the beginning stages of your career, you had that, but you figured out how to acclimate, which is kind of cool and kind of crazy. Um, and we don't want to play the game of what could have happened if I got diagnosed earlier, because there's just no usefulness in that. But it is really validating and it is really eye opening for so many women. And then the final step for a lot of women is then to start on treatment. Now, again, you know, t- t- treatment is really important because it's really going to help those parts of the brain that need to be focusing focus. And without it, it can really significantly affect your quality of life. Once you've gone through all of these steps of tracking and journaling and deciding if it's affecting your quality of life and getting tested and you are starting treatment, it's definitely affecting your quality of life. And with medications that can help you focus and concentrate and complete your tasks, life is a million times better. And I have seen many women go from A to Z to start on their treatment and treatment options include things like Stratera or Vyvanse up to Ritalin. Those are all viable treatment options for ADHD. And they will tell me that they are completely new people and they feel so much better. It really is when you put two puzzle pieces together, when you find the exact diagnosis for the symptomatology, people feel so whole again. And that's really why I wanted to do this episode. If if anything, not so much to walk you through the exact steps, but to put this on your map, put this on your radar, put this on your friend's radars, because it's much more common, I bet, than currently epidemiology stats will show. And women probably seek out lots of different doctors to try to figure out what could be going on with them when really their whole lives, they 
had sort of undiagnosed ADHD, ADD. And so there you have it. Now, the one question remains is, will hormone therapy help? So I don't know. I really don't know. And as much as I've prescribed hormone therapy to women with various different symptoms, it's really hard to say if it helps the ADHD or the ADD. Now, certainly patients will tell me that they will have improvements in brain fog. And brain fog is a massive generalization. It's just a term we use in my clinic that most people know roughly what it means, but it means slightly different things to slightly different people. And it's hard to say, is estrogen directly affecting the areas of the brain that help with concentration and focus, or is it helping you get back to the state you were prior to perimenopause and the drop and decline of your estrogen? It's probably, if I had to guess, more the latter. You're maybe better sleeping. Your mood might be a little bit better. You, therefore, aren't in that state of already feeling down or low, which triggers that ADHD, which we kind of talked about in the first part of this show. So I don't really know if ADHD is your presenting symptom or your main symptom of perimenopause, should you be treated with hormone therapy? The textbook will say no. The textbook will say there's no proof that it helps. And and I would probably agree. I think that if you really do, the best thing to do is get tested and start on the exact medications for that diagnosis. And maybe hormone therapy will help. Maybe hormone therapy will help if you have other symptoms like hot flashes and night sweats. And this inability to concentrate is also on your list, but not super affecting your quality of life. And I do think more research should be done on this topic because it's so fascinating and so interesting. These things happen only to women and not in the same way to men because they don't lose their sex hormones in midlife or at the peaks of their careers like women do. So I think that hopefully you've learned a ton from this episode. I hope that this made you think a little bit. I really hope that my sister doesn't feel too outed, but she probably doesn't. And um, I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have ideas for episodes, guests, please feel free to DM me on Instagram. I'm at Heather Hirsch, MD. You can find me on all social media platforms at Heather Hirsch, MD. I love hearing your feedback, your comments, your questions to episodes. It's so it, it, it really is these little pieces of information that I soak up when I'm in an elevator scrolling through my DMs or I'm sort of doing something and again, looking for that way to kind of make my brain happy because it wants to jump from topic to topic. So even if I don't always get to respond, I do read a lot of them and I love what you guys have to say. Thank you so much for being my army of women. Thank you so much for helping to increase listenership for the show. If you love my episodes. I have a subscriber only episodes that you can get on Apple podcasts. I usually release one or two a month and just more behind the scenes of what's going on in, in, in Heather's world and Heather's brain. And I'm so excited to tell you guys so many of the things that I'm working on and cooking up. And I just can't wait to see what's in store for women's health in midlife. So thank you guys so much. And I'll see you again next week for a brand new episode. Bye guys.